This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you for joining us. A massive show coming up for you. Lee Holdsworth, Bathurst champion, will be joining myself and Richard Quayle in just a sec to have a chat about what was an amazing week of racing up on the mountain. James Taylor, the brand new chief steward for supercars to join us as well. Mark Walker to join us. There's no time for news. It's all in the show. Let's get straight into it. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, we welcome Richard Crail to the program as always. Hello, Crosby. Hello, Shebexter. Back from Bathurst. It was so good to be there. We missed you, my friends. Yeah. Uh, we'll have to make sure you're there next year. But uh, what a race. What a cracker. What an absolute cracker of a race. You, you did right. And I'll tell you what, the, the greatest thing about the race was to see this bloke get up over the line and finally get to hold up a Peter Brock trophy. Lee Holdsworth, Bathurst champion, joins us for a chat. Congratulations, mate. So proud of you. Well done. Uh, thanks very much. Just just hearing you say Bathurst champion, um, sort of it's starting, starting to sink in a little bit more and more every time someone says that. Um, so, yeah, really special. Um, I've had plenty of attempts at it and I finally got one. So um, it's uh, it's what we all strive for as a young bloke and all throughout our careers. And um, so to have it on the CV now is just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Very, very surreal. Lee, your brother shared a really, really good Facebook post the Monday after you won the race uh, about you sharing a beer with the mountain after a particularly grueling, I think it was the Bathurst 12 hour DNF. You were sharing a Holden Astra with him and your old boy. uh, And you, you sat at the top of the mountain and you, poured a beer into it, covered it up, gave it a pat. Um, do you feel like, you know, you've, you've bought the mountain of beer and it's now returned the favour a couple of years later? Yeah, it took a while to return the favour, but um, <laughs> no, no. the beer's obviously, uh, the, the mountain's obviously got a memory like an elephant because it, it obviously remembered um, me sharing that beer and a bit of a chat with it. But yeah, it was pretty hard. It was pretty hard on me for many, many years where... Um, you know, I had good cars over my time and um, for one re- reason or another, it just didn't come together. And um, and this time it it was just like they, they you know, the mountains gods just thought we owe it to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to let the, let the week run absolutely perfectly. And um, yeah. it, was, it was just unbelievable how it all panned out because, you know, from the moment we got there, we got there a bit early um, on the Saturday uh, the weekend before and um, we played golf on the Sunday uh, and then Monday, Tuesday were pretty cruisy days, but I just, uh, and then, you know, once our media commitments sort of rolled in, um, I just lapped it up. I just enjoyed it. And, and I kept saying to myself because of, especially because being a co-driver, um, it was a different mentality. Uh, although it doesn't feel like there should be as much pressure. Um, I think in the end, uh, you know, once you're in the race, you sort of feel like there's probably more pressure on the co-driver than there is on the main because, you know, as a main driver, you're out there expected to put it all on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, you know, if you scratch the car or um, uh, if some, you know, you, you, if you make a mistake, it was, you put it down to uh, that, you know, they were just pushing too hard. Whereas the co-driver has a role and the role is to be fast 
but don't crash the car um, under any circumstances. Um, and, uh, and you feel that pressure a little bit. Um, so it's, you know, it's, uh, it's one thing to be a co-driver and think that it's pretty cruisy to get paid for one race, but at the same time, it's super high, um, high pressure on you. And, um, but I just put all that to the back of my mind and just really enjoyed the week and um, enjoyed working with Chaz, enjoyed working with Adam, um, Adam Debore, um, and with the WAU team. We're just, it was just fun, just really fun. And then to top it off with a win, yeah, just I don't know how it all came together. Mate, you, you talk about that pressure on the co-driver, and it really has changed in the last couple of years because there is no defined co-driver v main driver anymore. Everyone's all mixed up, even the start. We had a half a dozen or so main drivers start the race against the co-drivers. And, and right throughout the race, it's not just 25 co-drivers against 25 co-drivers. It's you, You're up against a big name. So the whole thing has really changed in the last couple of years in regards to that. Yeah, it certainly has. I think now it's just so important to get a co-driver that hasn't been out for long out of full-time seat. And, um, and you know, I was fortunate fortunate enough to, to have a few options at the start of this year as to where I go. Um, and, you know, I felt that, well, Walkinshaw and Andretti United was on the rise and, um, and they were the place to be. So, um, but, you know, I, I was, I was thinking, I went through the, 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 the grid list before the race and I thought, who am I going to sort of be a bit intimidated by as a co-driver if, uh, if one of the main drivers start and um and really i thought after a while you know well i i feel like i've got enough pace to to gap you know even the main drivers um mm. so you know it wasn't really a concern of mine in the end was uh you know whatever happens happens and and we've got the car underneath us to to drive away from this field and that's what we're able to do time and time again during that race um, so it's just incredible. And, and to have that confidence in yourself and in the car, um, in the team, in, in Chaz, um, you know, I don't reckon there's too many times where people feel so confident about it and actually end up getting the trophy at the end of the day, because you've seen plenty of times before you don't want to get ahead of yourself. It's not always necessarily the, uh, uh, the fastest car on the day that wins. Um, but it just, it was it was amazing, you know, even getting the puncher and then being able to fight back from that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we were probably written off by a few people at that stage, um, but we certainly didn't uh, didn't think it was over. We knew we had the pace to bounce back. Lee, your first stint was awesome. Uh, you were toe-to-toe with Garth uh, in the, the Red Bull car behind you, but you pulled away. Um, you, car speed was immense, but the... the a few sites out there that like to crunch the numbers with the lap times and the average laps. And as a co-driver, your average lap speed in the race was a six, two. The next best was Garth at a six, seven. So you, you had half a second over the guy that won the race last year and has won it four times and no one else got into the sevens from a co-driver point of view of an average lap across the course of that race. So was that first stint, especially early on in the race, is that among the best times you've had in a racing car? Just, you were quicker than everybody. You were utterly consistent, properly fast in terms of lap speed, and it all just seemed to flow in the right direction. Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've led that race before from the start, and um, 
so I knew what I had to do, but, um, you know, it didn't, although we were going so quick, um, it, it just, it was comfortable. And, mm. um, you know, I was driving it hard and, and I did, wasn't leaving much to spare, but, um, but it didn't feel like I was ever close to, you know, having a moment or um, mm. it just felt all in control. And that's why I was able to bang out those lap times within, you know, a couple of tenths every lap and, uh, and kept gapping Garth. And I just so kept thinking this is doing us wonders for the end of the race because yeah. um, what, it, what it's doing is not only uh, hurting the confidence of the guys behind me, but um, but we're showing the field that that where the where the car to beat to today, and also, you know, we'll be able to save some fuel along the way as well, and and have shorter um, a shorter stop at the end of the race. So we we just kept on thinking about the end of the race, that last um, that last pit stop. We want to have you know fuel in hand, and um, you know even with the puncher, we still ended up in that in that situation. I don't- I think you've only been on the podium once before Bathurst. Would that be correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the, the feeling of getting up there and, and getting on the top step and having all the people down in front of you cheering for you, take us through those few minutes of being on the podium and holding up the trophy and just that immense proudness that must go through you at the time. Yeah. I, I remember last time, 2009 with Caruso being up there in third place and, um, that's still, you know, before the weekend, that was probably one, if not my, my fondest memory in the sport. Um, there's just a, a huge sea of people and, and they are just chanting out, you know, your name or um, the other driver's names. And, um, and then there's a team who are just going absolutely berserk. Um, I can tell you, I'm glad it was this year and not last year because, you know, there was, the crowd was back and, um, and that was just fantastic. That, yeah. that just adds to the atmosphere. And you could feel that as soon as we rolled into town on the, on the Saturday, the week before. And um, yeah, just, just crazy. It was uh, a moment I'll never forget. Can you believe how six hours in your life can change and define your life? Uh, six hours before the start, uh, six hours before you finish the race, you're a bloke who's never won Bathurst. You've been on the podium once. Six mm. hours later, you're going to be remembered now for the rest of your life. As I said, a Bathurst champion. It's amazing how that small amount of time in your life can define you. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. And, you know, especially the year we've been through, um, we've had a lot, of, uh, a lot of crap come our way, um, you know, with Alana and myself and, um, and in motorsport and, uh, you know, just when things were on quite a low in 2021 mm. um, and then you had COVID on top of that, um, to finish the year off like that and have everything change in the matter of six hours, like you said, is I suppose this might be why it's so hard to believe that it's happened. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's changed my life already. Opportunities are popping up here and there. And um, whereas, you know, all year I've been looking for, any opportunity and um and so yeah it's uh, i i just can't believe it it's, and like you say it's you know i've cemented my name in history now around that place and i someone told me i was the 62nd winner ever yeah. around uh around that place and to think that you know there's nearly 60 drivers that start the race every year mm. um pretty pretty damn surreal yeah uh, 
few few rapid fire ones, mate. Uh, I know Alana gets this. She's been around the sport long enough to understand what it means. But do your kids understand something pretty cool happened to dad on Sunday? They do. They do. Um, I mean, they they were watching all day. Um, but I think when they probably realised how big it was was when they went to school and <laughs> they got a big uh, a big round of applause as they came into school. Um, so, you know, we've become pretty good friends with a lot of people at at, uh, at their school, and mm. so everyone's watching. Um, even even though a lot of the guys there aren't aren't into their motorsport, but I can tell you now they are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, had a huge following back here and. Um, and Ava asked me today if I was famous. <laughs> the answer is yes, mate. It is. You are. Well, yeah, it was on Sunday anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and what about the family, mate? I mean, the Holdsworth name in Aussie motorsport is extremely well known. It's extremely well respected. Your old boy's done remarkable things in the sport and your brother has raced incredibly competitively what did it mean to the broader Holdsworth clan especially the ones with the the direct motorsport connections uh oh they they my family sent me through a video of um my brother and all his mates and mum and dad they're all sitting around at uh at Brett's place watching the race and um you know the celebrations would they just went absolutely nuts brett had a bottle of champagne there spraying it over dad and (laughs) pouring it all over his head and dad was crying and um so i think for everything that uh that that they've ever sacrificed um it all made it worthwhile you know and Mm. and you know same with me it's um you sacrifice a lot to uh to be successful in motorsport and um you want to you want to do it for the right reasons and you know Bathurst was was the uh the ultimate goal for me and I've achieved it but well, I just want to have a quick chat to you about next year for WAU they acquire a guy like Nick Percat into the team as well we've seen as you said a team on the up you've been on the inside now for a little bit of time in WAU are they finally a team now that can really take it up to a triple eight, to uh, a Shell V Power Racing, to a, a DJR, all that. Are they finally a team that can really compete for a championship? Yeah, hundred um, percent. I'd I'd like to say that they could do it in twenty twenty two, but you know they had a pretty tough um, run at SMP. Um, but you know that that track highlights uh, the issues or imbalance in a car in any car because of the surface there and the long radius corners. Then you get to a place like Bathurst and it's just completely different. You know, it's high grip, fast flowing, aero sort of track. Um, so they've they've hit the nail on the head at at Bathurst and you know Darwin and Tassie. Um, they've now, I think they chalked up three wins with Chaz this year. Mm-hmm. Um, came third in the championship uh there's no reason why they can't fight for a championship next year and i I think they've learned a lot through the year as well and and even though they did have such a hard run at smp um, they were trying everything and and they came out of it feeling like they'd really found some answers so um that'll help going into next year have a having a more consistent year um triple eight are just unbelievable the way they they just come every year they turn up with uh, you know, a championship car. And um, I think in a way, you know, they're going through a bit of a, 
a change of the guard um, over the break with Jamie leaving, um, becoming, you know, team team owner, uh, and then Roland Dane stepping aside, Brock Feeney coming in. Um, it's going to change quite a bit, plus two engineers leaving there as well. Yeah. Um, I think this is a great opportunity for some of the other teams like WAU to to step up and um, and make the most of it. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Lee, because as we talk about this, this story is only just broken, but um, Zach Brown, who co-owns the team, he's the United in Walkinshaw, Andretti United. He's had a bit of a tradition this year of, let's be honest, bribing his drivers to yep. success. So he bribed um, Pato Ward in IndyCar with a Formula One test if he won a race, which he did. And yeah. He's going to do the young driver test at Abu Dhabi. Um, he bribed Daniel Ricciardo with a drive in Dale Earnhardt's NASCAR, which he's followed through. Yeah. And it's since broken that apparently he's offered your co-driver a steer of uh, the ex-Alan Moffat Chevy Monza, which is a very cool car that Zach's got right, in his well, broad collection. Oh, Have, I know that Moff was actually the one that su- that suggested that when we were right. uh, in the press conference on Sunday. So excellent. Um, that that's pretty cool that he's followed through that. Does that mean that I get to sit in the passenger seat? Well, mate, I, I feel, Zach's got 150 cars in his collection. Surely there's something there that piques your interest. I might have to look up the list and take my pick. <laughs> send the- him a, uh, I'll send him an Instagram request for, um, see if he can follow me uh, first. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, then he probably <laughs> should. You, you just won the great race for him, mate. You probably should. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, we reached out to the listeners on the grid and asked for a couple of questions, and we got a really nice one from uh, one of our listeners called Richard Lawrence, who says, my five-year-old little girl calls him Chaz's little buddy and wants to know, and this is a pretty deep, insightful question, Lee, why doesn't he do his hair like Chaz? Because Chaz (laughs) always has crazy hair, so his little buddy should too. Um, Now, bearing in mind this is a podcast, would you care to explain why you haven't done your hair like Chaz? (laughs) Uh, Well, guys, if you could see me online, you'd see that... uh pretty shiny up top <laughs> um i can certainly grow the curtain around the sides nice but uh um yeah <laughs> I, for, well first of all you know you if you if i was going to peroxide my hair or dye it or something i don't think it sticks too well to white hair yeah um, and then and then also i've got like a reverse mohawk going there's just nothing <laughs> through the middle but then it's around the side so um, yeah, that's why that one's a bit difficult. Sorry about that. No, we're, looking, <laughs> we're looking for a wig next year. Well, you're, you're famous yeah. now, so I reckon you could go to Advanced Hair, yeah, yeah, and they'll mate, they'll be all over you. Oh, maybe someone's listening in from Advanced Hair, we can get them on board. <laughs> well, we'll message warning now. We'll do a warning, yeah, exactly right. Hey, uh, last one as well, um, from Tom Archilli, who sponsors the show through Doric. Um, he said, You've now you drove a Tickford Mustang and you've now back to backed it with a WAU. Commodore, what made this car this year so good and so effective from practice one right through the weekend? Oh, great to hear from Tom. He's a good man. Um, thanks for the question, Tom. I think um, uh, the, I think the trick was Chaz and I, we wanted the same things from the car. And um, probably I think it stems back to how Chaz drove the, the car at Tickford, to be mm-hmm. honest, because you know, if you can remember the start of 2019 when I came into Tickford, I, I really struggled with the driving style there. And it took me a good six months um, before I got on top of it. Um, really wasn't natural for me. And, you know, when you're not 
able to drive a car naturally. You, you can't get the most out of it. So it took a long time. And, um, but they, they developed those cars around probably a Chaz driving style um, mm. or maybe even stemmed from Winterbo- Winterbottom. But, um, and, and obviously Chaz took Adam DeBore to WAU with him and, um, and they've probably got quite a, a similar philosophy. So as soon as I jumped in that car at the start of this year at the test day, I knew I'd made the right choice because, you know, straight away I was fast. Um, it felt familiar. Uh, you know, people often ask, what's the difference between the Holden and the Ford? Um, and I don't think it's so much a, a question of that. It's more so what's the difference between team to team? And the way, you know, the way they develop their cars is more the thing. Um, so, uh, you know, Chaz has obviously got a style that really, um, uh, that's quite effective and, and competitive. And, um, and Adam is brilliant at knowing exactly what Chaz needs. Mm-hmm. So every session, uh, I'd, I'd run out there, I'd say, I need this. You know, I think the, the biggest thing was we could just release the brake and carry corner speed. Um, it was a very flowing kind of car um, and Chaz wanted exactly the same thing. So every time I went out, we'd tune it up. Chaz would love it. He'd go back out, tune it up more. I'd love it. Every session, we just got better and better. And um, it was probably one part of the weekend where we thought we're actually a session ahead of uh, where we should be because I think we'd, um, you know, we, we, we were so confident that we started then searching for what sort of balance we wanted in the race. Um, mm. So, yeah, it was, it was one of those weeks that just everything just went absolutely to plan um, apart. Maybe one or two things went wrong. And, um, but it's pretty much unheard of. You know, you, you plan for the unexpected um, throughout the day. And um, but really, you know, one thing was unexpected, but the rest was absolutely on target. So, yeah, just... Um, we, we were on song that car was on song as soon as we rolled out the gate and that was what made it so easy we weren't throwing throwing the kitchen sink at it like most teams were fantastic stuff mate congratulations <laughs> a final one for me does it whet the appetite would you like to do this again full-time supercars <laughs> or you're just happy where you're at um look I, I spent the whole year um looking for a career outside of motorsport and uh and in the last couple of months, I found a great opportunity with CBRE Real Estate um, in their uh, automotive sector. Um, so I've got a brilliant job to go into next year. Um, uh, but, you know, of course, you know, I'd love to love to be full time. It's um, uh, I, I don't feel like um, I'm ready to be a co-driver just yet um although i made the most of it on the weekend um but you know i I also realized that at my age you know you've got to be ready to step into another career and um and take on that um that co-driver role for a number of years and i could really capitalize on that in um in driving with Chaz and wau and try and get another um but yeah if if something came forward um it would definitely be you know something that I would consider. Good on you, mate. Well, uh, whatever happens, mate, they can't take it away from you. You're a Bathurst champion, and that's uh, fantastic news. Congratulations, buddy, to you and Chaz and the team. It was a great drive, a great result in the end, and uh, we'll keep in touch, mate, in 2022, and who knows what might happen. 
Absolutely. Yep. Stay tuned, I'd say. <laughs> Beautiful. Look forward to that. Well Lee done, Holdsworth mate. joining us here on The Grid. Thanks, guys. All right, Quasi, time to introduce our next guest. And uh, a fantastic thing happened for this guy over the weekend. He got elevated from his role of assistant to the race director of supercars. Yep, cool story. And uh, one of the big talking points of the weekend was uh, Tim Schenken announcing his retirement from the race director's role at at supercars, a role that he's held for decades, uh, back to the Australian Touring Car Championship days. Uh, And James Taylor will be joining that friend of the show, he talked to us earlier in the year. I, I think it was earlier this year. It might have been last year. I, I can't remember, I remember all these that. COVID times merging to one. Um, but we're delighted to say that uh, to bring us an update from race control from the Repco Bathurst 1000. He joins us on the show. James, welcome to On The Grid. And congratulations, my friend. Uh, well earned. You're the chief of the supercars race control going into 2022. How cool is that? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Carlos. And hi, Tone. It's been last year, I think. I spoke to you when I was on the road last year. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. the first COVID interrupted season. Uh, that's right. Mate, yeah. when did you find out about the uh when did you find out about the decision for Tim to retire? Um approximately about an hour before the driver's briefing on Thursday. Wow. So pretty so he, he kept it quite to himself and I can understand why. It's mm. a big by Tim to say he's gonna step step aside. Yeah. It was a bit of a shock for everyone. Yeah, there was a process in place a few years ago put in place when I got asked to come back and concentrate in Australia and move out of that, get out of my Asian contracts. But it was being cut short, and I think a lot of that might be COVID. Um, Tim might have just felt it was a good time to go, finish on a high. Mm. Um, what a lot of people don't give Tim respect is he's still really switched on and very apt and up to the duty of the job. So it was quite surprising for some of us. We all sort of wondered when. And he snuck it onto us on Thursday. Is there a level of pressure attached to that? Well, I mean, that's a silly question because, of course, there's a level of pressure attached to being race director of the biggest biggest championship in the land. But but it, in particular in filling Tim's shoes, given he's been in that role for so long and no one really knows any different? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a different level of pressure. And I don't think people really understand it unless they've been in the game for a long time. It's different to when I did stuff when I was doing Porsche here and then over in Asia. Mm. And, it's, and it's a lot different from when I started way back in the old Ute days. So, but I sort of, I'm looking at the average that we're not filling Tim's shoes because I don't think anyone could ever fill Tim's shoes. Mm. We just need to start a new chapter and try and keep working on the same goals Tim had to make sure everyone that works in that category is putting the best to make sure the category still remains at the pinnacle it is. So, yeah, I, as I say, there never will be another Tim. Mm. It's too uh, hard. Uh, for me, when I look at managers in, in business and, and the like and people who hold positions of, uh, of leadership, and, and Tim's definitely been that for a long time, I think the, the way to see how that person has actually achieved in their job is not just what they've done, but what they've also had people underneath them do as well due to their training, due to their mentorship, and the like, and I think Tim is a perfect example of that. To be able to have, for an example, Michael Massey to go on and become the F1 race director under Tim's tutelage is an amazing compliment for the man. Uh, it's, Massey's probably like his biggest ever, ever 
surprise them at the moment. And Massey, mm. you know what a lot of people don't give us. Michael has a phenomenal understanding of how a whole package comes together. And I think you'll have seen that issue with the F1 stuff where they tell a car to do the radio transmission. Yeah. Which mm. takes an element out of it that now a lot of people see what some of the internal discussions are. Um, and Tim's always been a strong advocate of pushing and striving, making people be the best they can be in Australia. And he won't, I don't think he likes telling people what about it, but there's also, if you're in a normal race control like when I first started, when Tim walked in, you felt like you had to lift the level. Mm. That's, that's the presence we've got a bit. Tim's quite responsible in the cup, and there's a fair few other older members that are around that are responsible for creating that pathway, which has started many years ago, and it's now starting to show fruition. Michael over in Europe, we have a lot of good race directors here now in Australia. Mm. That's the standard for Australia and Asia Pacific for a start. Do so, you, how would you define your race directing style if there is such a thing? And now you and I, you and I have worked together often. We worked together in Career Cup Oz, Career Cup Asia, and but I, I think we worked together most closely at the Bathurst 12 hour. And your, and to a much lesser extent, my role in that was that we were, we were targeting for. 300 laps it was a milestone you were so keen to focus on that race running green to avoid the the, the safety cars that had plagued the 12 hour in the past um and and you got that and and then you you beat it even further race directing in 2020 so what what would you define your number one thing that when you go in the box you want to get out of a car race what is it that that's your ethos i suppose when you sit down in that chair and go right let's see how this race plays out what do you what's your main objective the main objective has been since day dot is being you want to make it fair and consistent mm. and you want to try and keep a consistency on i think we did that last year we proved that last year with the covid events where we were quite quick on our penalties this consistent level i'm working and on most occasions like i've worked with some really good dsa's over the year mm. and the last couple of years has been better it is quite sharp it is very consistent we also behind the scenes we have a good core crew of senior race stewards for most sport Australians. So we've got a lot of consistency. There's always two people at every round that are consistently the same people. So we have a good harmony there. Um, what I put is a lot of pressure on to the local officials to try mm. not just like you get a bit of a thing like you, you watch a lot of it and it seems that people are dawdling. They're not there's no real drive to try and get the racing laps back on. Mm. So we sort of ask we put a fair bit of pressure on them to try and not being really proactive and stupid by running and causing another issue, but looking like there's some sort of, let's get this on the way. We want to see the racing. We don't want to see the programs. And you would have seen that on the weekend, a couple of the safety cars after the first one for Brandon and at turn one, mm. they were quite quick turnarounds in the safety cars. And, and all that comes back to is the officials at the event having pride that they want to do it as quick and as good a job as they can because they don't just want to see four or five laps in a safety car. Mm. So, I think that's the whole thing. If you can get the locals, local officials enthused and make them really have pride in what they produce as a product, the whole package comes together and you can make, you can achieve like we did for 12 out of 300 laps. Yeah. And then your biggest element is the drivers. Yeah. The drivers don't sort of behave and race within the limits. You sort of can't control that just on that one. But yeah. But when you come to correcting an issue as it arises, if you can sort of push and get a bit of pride in to the officials, you can achieve many great goals with one big team. 
You brought it up just a second ago in the the word DSO, and I wanted to have a chat to you about that relationship between the race director and the DSO. How important is it that the relationship between you two is pretty spot on? Well, it's not just us two. Like with Supercars, for instance, that we used last weekend, there was myself, there was Ben, we had Matt Sally and Steve Liston and two other stewards, Ben Brad Tubb and John Mahim, who we'd done the majority of the Sydney fault. And then we continued on to Bathurst. But Beto and I feel quite alike, and we understand Beto has a very good play-on approach. And the way the way he the method he works on working out it's five seconds, ten seconds, fifteen seconds, or a PLP is very methodical. Mm-hmm. And as we said, we've got a good back back of house support with our stewards panel, and they understand we and we talk about this all throughout the year. We have many dinners over events where we discuss issues. Like when you take, for instance, the hot topic before we went to Bathurst is the rain, at least mm. in Sydney Mosel Park. We'd already started talking about that because we sort of escaped a bit of a rainfall a couple of weeks prior. So we'd already started with Tim, myself, Craig, and the stewards talking about a plan of attack if something didn't arise. So there's a fair bit of practice. And you could say tabletop exercises around while we're having a meal somewhere. And that's how we sort of work on it. But Berto, the harmony between Berto and myself really comes down to we both know how it, and we have faith in what we agree. Mm. There are times where we may disagree, but it's not that often, not that often that happens. Actually, the E-Series gave us a great opportunity to see Beardo's style and, and how he goes about his thing. One thing that I did love about the E-Series was the availability of Craig to discuss decisions that have been made during race on camera to uh, the commentators and the like at the time. Is that something that you think we could ever see maybe at supercar level where a decision's made um, and we cross to you guys for an explanation as to why that was made? But you could probably want to work on it, but at the moment with the judicial process, it doesn't really allow for that because it might open where a team then can lodge an appeal or a protest on the result. Okay. A lot, a lot of the work people don't see and they don't see the effort that Craig puts in after hours is Craig is more than willing and he will go and talk to the majority of the drivers after each session if there's been issues. Mm. So, like for instance, we've had a couple of numerous discussions with a couple of Brad Jones racing drivers. So Macaulay was having some issues in Sydney, so Brad asked him to come up and show him the videos for the track limit so he could see where exactly he was exceeding. And then even on the weekend, he was talking to various drivers about issues we may have been having, like, not, you wouldn't say contentious issues, but issues where some drivers thought they were agreed, but it was just a play on race mm. on. And that was just during practice of qualifying. So Craig is more than, I would say, in some aspects, Craig's probably a bit too approachable and feels he wants to talk to him too often. Mm. And, and he takes it quite personally. Yeah. Some as they go around, but he puts in a phenomenal amount of work after an event to make sure the drivers understand his rationale to what he is. And he always answers his phone when they ring him. Yeah, but yeah, never, yeah. But he'll never do it during a during an actual session time. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of things happening during an actual session, uh, can you please put us into your shoes and those of Tim and everyone in race control during the race on Sunday when you get a report through that there's some wildlife on the racetrack? Now, we've seen wildlife, James, at Mount Panorama before, you and I especially in the old B12, but uh, nothing like what we saw that energised the Bathurst 1000 on Sunday. What was the first thing that went through your mind and that happened in race control 
when Eddie the Echidna rolled onto the racetrack there. Eddie, at, uh, he's got at, a name, has he? Well, I think it just makes sense, doesn't it? He's got to be Eddie the Echidna. Um, when he rolled onto the track at the cutting uh, and and completely transformed the race. Um, the first thing was, is, as you said, it was called Wild Life, so you started looking for a Captain Kangaroo, mm-hmm. the, the usual person that invades up at, up at Bathurst. The second thing is we tried to find it on TV, which is quite easy, mm-hmm. cameras that are around the circuit. Um, the worst thing was, was trying to gauge or trying to estimate where it was going to go. Because mm. originally it started out on driver's left. It was a nice little opening just as you come into turn four. A marshal sort of stood probably six foot from it mm. and then eventually started moving out. And we thought, oh, we might be all right here for a while because it just stuck near the concrete wall on the left. Mm. And then the final call was when it just started making a beeline across the track driver's right. And, Lucky enough, it got across. There was a couple of close calls where he may have got his tail feathers clipped a bit, his <laughs> tail spikes, but it didn't get hit. That's the main thing because a lot of people don't understand the conditions and the protective nature of the wildlife is mm. around that first. So we're lucky. One, it created a safety car. Mm. Two, there was no worst case outcome for the animal. And it, it was safe and it, got, it walked away down the small scaffold we were seeing when they eventually got to the fall. Yeah. But the first thing is like you don't know where it's going. It was quite lucky, and then, you know, I think if you remember the footage, it made a beeline where it pretty much traversed straight across. Yes. So it's probably the best thing it could have done. Whereas the kangaroos normally get a bit scattered and run either yeah. side and don't know where they're going. It's, mm. It appeared to take a direct line, which probably saved it. And and the the safety car itself was it just a no brainer that you would go safety car for that on the track? You, you've got to be, like, I personally have never hit an echidna on a road car. Mm. I've had the misfortune of meeting friends with wombats on a couple of highways and can mm. Yeah. Um, you just you just don't know what the outcome will be. And you've got to think about the protective side of it. We're trying to protect that animal itself. Mm. So you've got to try and save it. Mm. Um, it, is, it is one of our natural icons. Mm. But yeah, you've got to get safety car because you don't know one what could be the worst case scenario for the animal to what's it going to do to the car and the competitors? The car may run over it and you don't know what it could escalate to when the car goes hit it. So you just try and protect it. We put a fair bit of information over the race management channel mm. where it was and where it was heading. And I think that's probably some information that got passed back to the drivers, which may have alleviated it, you know, getting hit. Mm. But yeah, well, it's a unknown factor. Yeah. I would imagine that I mean, you don't want to see it hit, but like they're pretty spiky. So you run over a kidney, you're going to get a puncture, surely. I don't want to make light of it, but no. you tip into the kink at the chase and uh, having run over Eddie the Echidna and get a few echidna spikes in your right front Dunlop, you're going to have a bloody big crash. So probably a sensible yeah, the idea. Other, the other worst case scenario, if it had it got flung, it might have, it might have been a projectile towards the flag points. Yep. And the marshals on the flag post. So there's a whole heap of variables. Mm. You just got to do that. It's like any sort of animal, fill a bond with an animal, keep down the beast that don't seem to move from a racetrack edge, no matter what you do to them. Yeah. This weekend we had an echidna, which was something new. Something new for the, the, the book shebecks of crazy crap that's well, happened at Mount Panorama. You wouldn't want to be done for low tyre pressure by the scrutiny after the race because you <laughs> what was went the, over an echidna. Well, yeah, you go to a, go to a, um, an official steward's hearing and your defence is, well, I hit an echidna. 
It's like, no, nah, sorry, mate. That doesn't check out. Oh, yeah, I, I think you're lucky enough that Shebex is a tie person so I'm getting miserable to come Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the good thing, though, is is that that it was a fairly non-eventful race apart from that. In re- I mean, there was a couple of offs and, and the like, but there was nothing serious enough that mm. warranted you guys to have some really uh, deep and meaningful talks. No, you, you could probably say they were just the usual run-of-the-mill incidents yeah. that you, you've got to anticipate. The one thing of note is the their speeds, they were consistently lapping for 161 laps, which is phenomenal. Yeah, amazing. I think, I think, I think towards the end, they were averaging like 205 something. Yep. And that's sort of unheard. It basically became a 161 lap sprint race. Mm. So, and the other benefit we had on the weekend, being relatively usual, was the actual respect that's coming in now with the obedience of the safety car protocols. Yep. So that makes that makes it a lot easier to correct any issues we're getting now too. And we'll work on improving that next year is the behavior under safety car. Mm. Mm. Yeah, there were hey. a couple of infringements weren't there for safety car. Uh, um, no, issues no. overtake or sorry, restart safety car restart issues. Yeah, to, they're actually for the wave by for the 1000. We bring in a wave by like a NASCAR yeah. lucky dog. Mm. Yeah, I don't really like that name. <laughs> um, and it's just a couple. One of them was the wild card, mm. went a bit early. We, we during the system, is we put out on the timing screen the cars that are eligible, and it's based on the time the safety cars called. And there was a mass group of cars. I think there's eight cars that are eligible for that incident mm. for that time. And I think 39's a wild card, never really been used to it. They hadn't run last year, so they didn't understand the system. Probably didn't read the documents thoroughly enough to understand it. But we announced during the safety car while the corrective action's happening, and then we redo it again at the end when we're about to engage it, utilising all the avenues we've got with the MoTeC in-car warning system, the radios, etc. And once we announced what cars are eligible, 39 thought that was the time to go. Mm. And the car that was behind him obviously thought he's going, I'm going. So those two cars bolted quite early, mm. and that resulted into the PLPs once we restarted. Mm. So, yeah, it was just a bit eager, and I think it was just the loss, loss of communication and education by the 39 car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, really interesting, mate. Um, we really appreciate your insight into how the race plays out. It was a really good show overall the whole weekend for supercars. The the pace, as you mentioned, was awesome. Um, until the that safety car for the the echidna, it was going to be the fastest one thousand ever. And ultimately, I think it went what six fifteen or six sixteen. So it's right up there in the yeah. quickest the quickest 1000s ever run. So that's a testament to you guys in race control for doing that. Hey, just a quick one before we let you go, mate. Um, you mentioned Michael Massey before. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the Saudi Arabian, Arabian Grand Prix yet, but there was a fair bit going on there. Would you want to be in his shoes right now? Or are you are you happy that uh, that fine specimen, specimen of a man has got that job and you are safely ensconced in Melbourne? To be politically correct, I'd always want to have a crack at the job if you've got the opportunity. That's a different level again. Um, mm. I think Michael's at 100% right in his calls and what he's doing. Yep. There's a lot more media scrutiny, but we get that here in Australia and people just don't understand it. Mm. It's just a lot more open than, as I said, he's, since Michael's been there, there seems to be a lot more ways of approaching him. Very much so. As we mentioned before, and sometimes that can be could potentially be a downfall, but I think it's all part of the show. We all understand it. Mm. When we start looking into this as a progression from 
standing on a corner when you want to move up the food chain in the fishing instinct. Mm. He'd, he'd be thriving on it. Michael likes to tell challenge and a good task. Yeah. But you but you also know from everything he says, he always holds fast to his initial. Yes. And and if he, Michael is one of those gentlemen, if he, he does make a mistake, he'll acknowledge the mistake. Mm. He won't try and hide behind it. So no, I think he's doing really well. We totally support him and his calls have been good. It's yeah. just at the moment they're trying as it is, I can't remember an F1 where the top two place getters are going in on level points for the last race. Extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, we all uh, understand how the media works and what they're trying to make out of it. I'll tell you what, Toto Wolf scares the hell out of me. I <laughs> I seriously wouldn't <laughs> want to make the wrong call <laughs> if I'm Michael and Toto comes up to you face to face. I would it, be very straight, intimidated. Australia's got a few team managers and owners that yes. in there. Uh, in the mannerisms when they first come into an office. And no need to name them either. <laughs> uh, Michael's got the unique ability. He's a calming effect during the uh, discussions. So yeah, he has that effect and that'll be working well on his beneficiaries over there. Mm. No, you you bang on, mate. We're uh, we're very proud of him. As we are of you, mate. Congratulations. Yep. We're we're pumped that you're going to run the run the show next year couldn't think of anyone better to do it it's a terrific story well done look forward to the new season starting off hopefully we can roll through it without any uh, covid hurdles but we're looking forward to seeing you in the big chair uh hopefully bath at the start of the year and then uh right into newcastle the week after that yeah we should be seeing you at newcastle and we definitely at this stage will be working with you again at 12 we're trying trying to bring our supercar crew all mm. of us exactly yourself James Del Zoppo and Beardo to the 12 hour to give us a bit of a dry run at Newcastle, but to improve once again the 12 hour facilities. 322 Excellent. laps, mate. 322 laps. That's 2,000 kilometres. We've got close. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. We're not far away. One less safety car than that 2020 race, and I reckon we would have cracked it. So that's your, uh, that's your target. James, thanks for joining us on the grid. Really appreciate it. Nice to talk to you both, boys. We'll see you in the new year. He certainly will. James Taylor joining us here on The Grid. This is On The Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right, let's finish off a big show with the big name. Whoa. Oh, jeez. Mark Walker. Hello. Hadley holds with on. <laughs> Hello, uh, buddy. G'day, Tony Shebeki, Richard Crail. Um, can we start with some housekeeping? Um Please. A big hello to everyone who stopped me in my tracks during race week and said that they listened to the show and, and read the website, which was lovely to meet so many people, which uh, kind of blows my mind that people actually listen to this, which is cool. Mm. Um, also, I suppose we've got to thank all the people who sent us messages after last week's show where we did the track walk and nearly died, Tony. I can't stress how close we came to death, <laughs> but we do have solutions to a couple of the questions we asked there. The car that stacked it up Mountain Straight was an Audi R8 yep. at Challenge Bathurst the other week. So it was yep. quite fresh. The bits of car that was stuck in a tree that I pulled it out of. <laughs> um, and the other thing that we found out post-podcast was that it's a fig uh, Orchard yeah. plantation down yep. Conrad okay. Strait, not avocados, Richard. FYI, no, no, no figs. No, you you were correct. Absolutely, the whole uh, lot of fig jam. Actually, a great indication of how <laughs> how the walk went. So Bathurst, as we know, is a six point two kilometer track. How long did it take you guys? How many k's? Nine point five. Nine point five. Why? That's a bit. Of, that's a bit of sideways <laughs> walking. Four hours. It was very, very slow. It was legitimately a four-hour track. No, walk. but it's not just slow. It's the fact that 
You went an extra 3K. Yeah. So I don't know how you would do that. That's a lot of zigzagging. You know how you tack against the wind in a sailing boat? <laughs> we, we were, it was the going up the hill and down the hill as well. You can't just walk straight down the hill. No, you've got to tack. You've oh, got to go across. Oh, it, it shortens the incline. It's ridiculous. It's bloody steep, Shebex. Yeah. Um, and we, we probably we probably should break it to you now that on the yeah. grid next year um, is going to change formats because due to the popularity of our track walk next year, the show will be entirely track walks. Yeah, fair enough. Um, that's what the listener demands. So I'm sorry. Like you, you just Does that mean we have to, to do one at every track? Yeah. Okay. Twice. Yep. The, <laughs> the Simmons Plains one won't be long, but having said that, our Bathurst walk took four hours. So Simmons Plains will still take us an hour to walk around. Yeah, very true. Hey, uh, what an amazing week, though, boys, to be involved in that, that the first ever six-day Bathurst 1000. That's a lot of car racing. Uh, look, it was massive. Never again. Uh by Thursday night, most people were walking zombies trying yeah. to get around that joint because it had just been so huge. So while it was amazing that it got done and there was a heap of goodwill from the sport, from all levels of the sport and a massive amount of compromise put in place from everybody, from sponsors to broadcasters to support categories to even supercars. Yes, folks, they did compromise a little bit. Um, it was outrageously big to an extent that it's not something you would do every year it was great this year in the special circumstances in which we live at the moment but in an ideal scenario we have the Bathurst 1000 in october Bathurst international for everything else in november and we get on with life so it was cool to be part of we'll talk about it for a long time but as an experiment it's probably not something that in usual times you go yep let's do that again because it was amazing Especially off the back of four consecutive weeks racing. Oh, well, well, that too. That that yeah. was also ridiculous. But just even in its own little bubble, the Bathurst thing was just catastrophically enormous. Yeah. Rich, what was your favourite bit? I reckon for mine, it was almost the Monday. Because mm. walked down there. I don't know whether it was the anticipation or the cool things that happened on that Monday where Matt Hall landed his plane on Mountain yep. Straight. And, you know, we did the thing with uh, True Blue 2 and 3 mm-hmm. over in the Motor Racing Museum. But once the, the on-track action start, it was just wall to wall. There was no break. The yep. days were so long. And I, I'm in the process of slowly piecing together the diary of the Race Talk uh, Bathurst week. But the race days were just so long. You know, we'd, we'd log in there before 6 a.m. and be out of there 7.30 at night sort of thing. And, you know, there's a lot of other people pulling longer days than us. Yeah, if you um, work for Speed Cafe, you're there till midnight. But, I yep. mean, that's standard for them. But it's, um, yeah, I agree with you. And th- there was probably another element as well in that, by choice, we were all quite conservative about what we would do after being at the racetrack. Yeah. So our, our regular debrief haunts didn't happen. So the Thursday night Chinese stopped the Great Wall debrief on Sunday night that we're all so fond of. There, there were some considerations with the current scenario that no one wanted to get caught up in an exposure site. You didn't want to have to quarantine we, all these. We, we all did anyway by going We all did anyway, but, but only, <laughs> only casually, it's fine. Um, so like there, there was some of that that probably added to the added to the weekend and to the intensity of it all. So yeah, the, the Monday I, I really liked. Um, honestly, I, I, I loved the week before the event. Mm. I loved being in town for the whole week. I, I thought that was really, really cool. And you don't ever get that opportunity. It's usually in on Wednesday out on Monday. So it's not, not even being there Monday to Monday, but I spent the week between Sydney four and Bathurst in town, which was, I, I genuinely loved it. It was just such a nice way to build into the event. And 
in the future, I reckon my Bathurst 1000 experience, like my 12-hour experience starts on a Monday. I reckon my 1000 experience, maybe not Monday, but Tuesday, just to, you just build into it so much better if you don't just land in town at midday on a Wednesday and crash into it. I think it gives you more time to soak it up and really enjoy it, which I, which for me was a massive part of that week because when we were on track Tuesday, it was out of control busy. And it was doing all those touristy things that you've never, ever bothered to do in Bathurst because of that whole, you you come into yeah. town and you're working the whole time, but get him to do some of those touristy things that you always drive past and you, you think about doing and want to do, but fail uh, circuit. Mm. fail circuit. That was amazing. And just uh, going to the train museum and the mud at the, Motorcycle Ashes Speedway Museum. Museum. Oh. Who knew that was a thing? What an untapped gem that is in oh. Bathurst Town. Just extraordinary. And and two of the biggest Speedway bike fans I know, uh, Chad Nalon and Wade Oranger, and I bumped into Wade conveniently on our drive home, um, had absolutely no idea it was a thing. Really? Like, And they are, I have no interest in Speedway bikes, but they didn't know it was there. So, hey, Ash, do some marketing, buddy. And B... <laughs> Bath untapped things in Bathurst. This is the biggest speedway bike museum in the Southern hemisphere and it's in Bathurst. So little things like that were, um, yeah, really, really cool. Really, really cool. But as for the race itself, boys, um, it was so nice to see the start of the great race with the front straight looking pretty much normal. The the crowd wasn't normal, but it, it was for the start down the bottom, that iconic shot looking out with 25 supercars rolling off. It was so good to see people there. And and the yeah. soul of Mount Panorama was was back for mine. The, the crowd, I reckon, was 60% of usual across the week, maybe. But it, there was soul about the joint. And everyone who was there last year said it was completely solace. So I, I think for mine, that's the most important thing out of it all, was just, just seeing the vibe. And, and Mark, you and I bumped into old mate at the top of the hill on our track walk on Sunday and, and just seeing the tent city building up there and watching the paddock fill up and the Max Cameron campground at term one, you know, Monday it was empty, but by Wednesday that was, was very well populated. Seeing that, just seeing the place come back to life after the year that we've had was, uh, was for mine really, really cool. And I suppose too, with the race, the right car won the fastest oh, car won yeah. they dominated they deserved mm-hmm. that yeah. i remember in the first stint you know i'm there taking my photo photographs and concentrating on doing that mm. and i'm going oh well, Chaz is out there smoking this one and then after a bit of sort of twig that it's got the co-driver light on and that's holdsworth out there that's doing the smoking and so well these guys are absolutely on and when i left the top of the mountain is when they had their flat you know 50 yeah. something laps in uh, well, they're done, aren't they? So the fact that they were able to come back with just pure car speed and they smoked everyone, they deserve the win. Yeah, proof that if you've got a fast car, you'll win Bathurst, even if you have some dramas like they did. And in a way, it sort of half worked for their strategy as the race played out. Um, the B-Pillar Twitter account, if you're a sports car racing nerd, is the place to follow because they dive in and do all the, the deep dive strategic stuff. But they, they do the Bathurst 1000 every year and they popped up with a really interesting chart. We talked about it with briefly in our chat with Lee Holdsworth. The, the co-driver performances were critical to that race and good performances as they always are. But Lee absolutely smoked them from a co-driving point of view. So you delve into his laps. His average lap through the race was a 206.2, which was fourth of any just about any driver in the entire race. Um, his fastest lap was a 5.7. His average deviation between laps was like two tenths of a second. But the next, so 
Lee's average lap was a 206.2. The next best was Garth Tander at a 206.7. They were the only drivers who averaged a lap in the sixes in that entire motor race from the co-driving crop of 25 pretty well-credentialed racing car drivers. And Lee was half a second faster. Half a second faster, which is an enormous margin. Half a second quicker than Garth Tander, who remains one of the great drivers of the sport. There's some really interesting names in the top 10 list in this co-drivers, though, boys. Third place. Have a guess. Have a guess who third place in the co-drivers list is. Jonathan Webb. You are absolutely correct, sir. Yeah. Jonathan Webb. Bit of Bathurst experience paying off. Fourth place, Zach Best. Fifth place, James Moffat. Tony D'Alberto next. So TD was okay in the 11 car. Craig Lowndes. Matt Campbell in the top 10 of co-drivers on average lap pace and Kurt Kostecki in there as well. So some really interesting co-driver performances. But then one of the irony is that Warren Luff was exactly mid-pack on raw speed in the co-drivers. And yet he was really, really good as always and managed to finish fifth. So um, there was some really, really good drives in the co-driver pack that I, I loved watching. That was really such a big part of the race. Then we look at the full season drivers. We we talked about the performance of Brock Feeney throughout the weekend and yeah. he, he kept that wildcard entry in the game um, and was genuinely competitive until he fenced it. But he was almost exactly mid pack of all the main game drivers. So, and in front of some pretty good names. So in terms of his average lap speed, so you'd suggest that when he jumps into a, a works triple eight car next year and not a wildcard, he's going to be, he's going to be okay. I think they're all right. But you look at the two young guys who are stepping up next year, Brock Feeney and Thomas Randall. They both had unforced errors. Yep. Yep. Didn't they? Yep. You know, they're the they're the next crop yep. of drivers, and uh, they dropped a cold more than anyone else did in the race, really. Mm. When you look at that, uh, and, and that brings up another issue. I cannot see Matt Payne getting signed off for a super license dispensation after that weekend, after the body of work that he's put together in the yeah. last three weekends, because, you know, he punted Everingham on the warm-up lap in qualifying, <laughs> uh, got tangled up in one of the races there with yeah. uh, Robotham and yep. finished fifth in the other race. I can't see him getting signed off. So they're going to need a driver over there at Kelly Grove, aren't they? They are, correct. I, I think if they give if they give Matt Payne a super licence based on this year, Nathan Hearn and his family would take Motorsport Australia to the highest court in the land for being denied because Nathan's body of work is altogether more complete, I think, at, at the relative stage of their careers. And Nathan is a very... The, the difference is, I think, is Nathan perhaps doesn't quite have the raw speed, but the racecraft, and he's been involved in, in less incidents. I think you have to look at it that black and white, really. I agree with you. So, I mean, you look at Holdsworth, you know, he's, he's said that he'd take a full-time drive, he'd consider it. But then you look at guys like Fabian Coulthard, who mm. kept the dream alive with a full-time drive this year. He has finished last in the standings. Mm-hmm. He was out there winning races last year. That's got to come into consideration too. What sort of dive are you setting yourself up for? Because Fabian can't be enjoying himself. That can't be fun. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. My, my question to you both is if you're Lee Holdsworth and Stephen Grove rings you at the start of the year and goes, all right, we we haven't got this Matt Payne deal over the line. We want you to drive, but it's probably only going to be one year because we're going to roll Matt Payne in. It's going to happen. And then on the other phone, you've got Ryan Walkinshaw going, mate, guarantee you in the slot alongside Chas Mostert next year, we're only getting better, probably roll around as favourites next year again. You've got a chance to win Bathurst back-to-back. 
And let's be honest, the Groves aren't going to win Bathurst next year. They might in the future, but it's not going to happen next year. What do you do? Mm. What do you do? Because from a financial point of view, Stephen Grove might go, we'll pay you 250 grand to come and drive. But do you do that? Or do you piece together your TCR program, work your new job in that the real estate business Lee was talking about and win Bathurst again? Tough call, isn't it? Yeah, it is a tough call. Tough call. Yeah, I, yeah I don't know what you do. You, mm. Yeah. Uh, the biggest losers from the weekend. DJR. Yep. I thought so too. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Uh, it, they were... They, they weren't good enough on race day, were they? I mean, they were a bit slow out of the blocks with Anton. And, mm. and you know, obviously Anton pulled his finger out in that great top 10 shootout. That was a corker top 10 shootout, wasn't it? Yeah, that's, that's uh, the best shootout but, that's been. Even with the 60% crowd there, there was atmosphere there when that, that session was going on. We yep. stood down the inside of Murray's Corner and you could hear the crowd in the hill absolutely going nuts during that session. Uh, but during the race, they didn't have enough, but they were importantly in front of 17. So every time they came in a double stack, mm. 17 got shafted. Then 11 drops out of the race with whatever problem they had up at the cutting. Do we know what that was yet? No, no one said. No, I haven't. No. Hmm. Yeah, the, the double stacking thing was was just poor, poor strategy. And then... Plus the 17, 13 places. Yeah, and then yeah. and then they copped a five-second penalty for merging yeah. into someone as well. So that that's far from ideal. It, it felt... They didn't feel like the GJR we've seen for the last few years. And I, I think it was because they just didn't have car speed. So at no point... You know, Tony led the race briefly on the opening lap. But outside of that, they just did not look like they were contenders. Mm. And they were the fourth or fifth best car. Like they, they were the Brad Jones racing cars were probably better in a race package than DJR, to be fair. Maybe. I don't know. That Nick Perkat car was in the top five a lot of the day. But then Tickford semi turned it around. Mm. Look at that. Mm. I mean, yeah, obviously they would have finished third without uh, Van Giz having his tyre dramas late in the race there. And at the end of the race, it felt a little bit flat. There wasn't that anticipation sort of thing building up from where I sat anyway well, down no, the pits. I, I agree with you, but I, we've been so spoilt with close finishes, haven't we, over there the is. last decade? But when, when he got that flat tyre, it's like, oh, hang on, that's right. This is Bathurst and anything can happen. Yeah. I think everyone sort of... Uh, went up a notch there because it was it was back on again. But I think so, it know, felt it felt flat because we'd all seen what Car Twenty Five had done all day, yeah. and and we you sat there and you go, okay, well, it's it's Chaz versus Shane in an arm wrestle, sure, brilliant, but there's no way that Car Triple Eight was going to beat Twenty Five because yeah. Twenty Five just had the ability to drive away from the field every single restart throughout the day. Was that was just a rocket ship that thing. But, you know, Tickford were in the conversation. Obviously, mm. Jack put the car in the top 10 shootout. They had dramas on race day to, to end out his season, which was a shame. You know, Zach Best did a good job, like you said before, yep. in the co-driver times, which was which yeah. was a pleasant surprise. Like, he's one of those rookies who really stepped up. Obviously, Randall had his drama, but they fought back with their wave rounds, and they uh, they got back up there into the top 10, didn't they? They did, yeah. They, yeah, that was second Tickford yeah. car. Yeah. Luck, lucky Dog was good. I actually thought the Lucky Dog thing worked. I, it kept cars in the race and, and Courtney Randall is probably the ultimate example. No, they were never going to win it. They didn't have the car speed, but it kept them in contention for a top 10. Correct. I think that's a pretty decent thing to do. And you know what? I'm very happy for Dave Russell, especially. Oh, yeah, what third. a great yarn. You, you know what I pin that down to? You look at Luffy where he lobs up every year. He doesn't do much racing during the year, but what mm. he's doing is driving cars every mm. day of the year. He's out there 
with, with his stunt show and all that sort of caper that he's got the hand-eye coordination going. Same with Dave Russell. He does a lot of driving events during the year. That's his company away from the racetrack. He's keeping his eye in. So when he lobs up here to Bathurst, bang, there you go. He drove really well in his sessions. And and subsequently, Brody brought it home in third, which was a a really great effort. It was good to see that happen. Fantastic that Chas Mostert and... uh, Absolutely blank. Monster Cam Waters. Cam Waters. First, second. I mean, after all the issues that those guys have had over the years, they had the mm. issue at Bathurst a few years ago where they took each other out. Great that they get a Cornella. Yeah, like Cam Waters is a bit of sterling moss about him at the moment. Like <laughs> he's there, but not quite. It's yeah. um, which is high praise, I suppose, to be compared to to that guy. Yeah, I I, I don't know. The, the Tickford guys felt flat Sunday night in the press conference. Yep. Um, I, I think Moff was pretty happy with life, like the best ever Bathurst finish for him, and and he drove really really well. Yep. Uh, but I think Cam, I, he knew he didn't have the car speed to go with Chaz, and I think just a little bit flat. And and you know they sort of, is it fair to say they inherited second when Shane's thing mm. popped a tire? Yeah, because yep. without the tire, Shane was definitely going to finish second. There was no way that that uh, the six was going to get past, but, but isn't it funny that those two cars end up in podium contention at the end of another Bathurst event? Just going back to Chaz, one thing mm. that I've neglected to put in the notebook that we ran on the race talk this week, Monday afternoon, about the only thing you bloody yeah, I know. Well, there was, in, a, co- there was huge, a couple yeah. of things, a couple of them were libelous. So I left yeah, them out for our good sake, mm. but uh, Monday afternoon, Chaz was there. Unlo- he had the high vis on, he was helping the truck driver unload the truck. He didn't have to do that. He could have been a racing car driver and go and sit in his suite and mm. get a back rub. But he was there bending his back, emptying the, the walking short truck, setting up the pits. Obviously, Tuesday went out there and binned the Audi, you know, wrote that car off. He helped with a bit of the panel beating there before yep. they took it down to the shop to get uh, put on the jig. Uh, obviously, won the TCR championship and a written-off car. So that was a, a tick in the box there on Wednesday mm. afternoon. And he could concentrate on the... The race weekend. He's had such a good run at Bathurst. You know, he was second and third in the Mount Panorama 500 at the start of the year. Won all the TCR races at at Easter time. The GT race at Easter, he was on the podium there. Podium last year. He's obviously a good guy at Bathurst. And, you know, they all just made it click, didn't they? Well, and, and remember, it was his effort in qualifying in the 12-hour in the Mark Cars entered BMW M6 a couple mm. of years ago that got the attention of the factory BMW team that led to him going over to Europe and the States and racing those cars in IMSA and WEC and the big sports car races. So he's a good guy, Bathurst, for sure. And now he's won yeah. it twice. Uh, quick word on the 2021 supercar season, gentlemen. Um, a tick that they got it done. Yeah. Probably uh, as a sporting contest, probably underwhelming. It had its moments. It look. It had it had great moments. No doubt about that. Absolutely. Um, but it was just Van Gis was it, just on another planet, wasn't yeah, he? He, he, yeah, was, he was. He was never ever going to be beaten after Sandown. There, there was no conceivable way that he would lose that title after Sandown, and every single person in the paddock knew it. And everyone can throw all the bravado in the world around and and say, oh, no, it's a long championship. We'll beat him, blah, blah, blah. But he was in just such another league. And the fact, you know, he went and won the six hour. He won every single thing he raced in this year. Battle of Jack's Ridge in the rally car, you know, was racing with a clip wing for most of the year. 
he wasn't going to get beaten. He was in such a different level to everybody else, including his teammate, who's the GOAT. Um, yeah, so look, but but it, it was what it was. As a season, it was massively compromised by Rona, like everything else in life. So to get it done, to get it done the way they did, to finish it in style, TV ratings are up about 20% year on year. That's a massive victory nice. in these times. Yeah. So that's that's huge. Um, seven launches their first year back well. Repco do the same. I think they're all pretty happy with life. It's got to be a tick. Um, but I just hope next year we get we get what we're promised and not denied due to this pandemic because it's got real potential to be really, really cool. Okay, question for both of you from different perspectives. That was 2021. 2023, Gen 3 is coming in. The cars were out in the circuit on the weekend. Rich, you got to have a good crawl through the car and, and see mm. what it was like. Tony, from home on the box, what was your impression of Gen 3? Uh, good cars. They sounded great. They looked really good on the telly. They looked like they were going to be, you know, a really hot car to watch, drive around. Uh, ticks for me all round. I couldn't see from sitting at home and sitting on the couch and watching it. I couldn't see any negatives to both cars aesthetically and audio-wise. They look hot. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They look. They they've done such a good job with the road car proportions, so they do actually look like the road car, but yep. just beefed up, which they should, because they're a racing car. They should look real tough. And and the skirts and the wing, really, really good. That Mustang sounded utterly brilliant. Mm. Utterly brilliant. And Triple Eight missed a trick by not running their car with a muffler. So, well, they ran it with a muffler and Ford didn't, and the Ford sounded so much better mm. than the Camaro. And I think everyone looked, listened to it. The Camaro for mine was the more aggressive looking race car. But when that, mu- you could hear that Mustang plucking gears going up Reed Park from the bottom nice. of the hill. Like it sounded yeah. mint. Whether it's allowed to run like that, I don't know. But if it does, it will be enormously popular. Yeah. I, I think it was good. The, the concern for mine is that we've now, we've, we've got 12 months of those things. And there's a new gen Mustang coming next year. So we, that, it won't look like that when it races in 23. Yeah. So are we going to be a bit over Gen 3 by the time we actually roll them out and race them? I don't don't know. Well, you know, all the banging on about aero and you look at the side-by-side photo and we've popped our head under the bottom and looked at what the undertray is like and there is no undertray of those cars. Mm. And you look at the rear wings, they're a lot lower close to the car, but they've Mm. also centre-mounted with the end plates on it, which is a lot less aerodynamic than the end-mounted that they've got at the moment because you've got those two extra posts there that are causing drag that aren't adding to the whole yep. equation of adding downforce to the car. So they're going to be a, a handful to drive. Obviously a lower package and they've got good power and they've got good tires and, and all lighter. the things. Yeah, like, lighter. Those, those be... cars, that we never got an official figure, but those cars we understand were somewhere around 1,200 kilos, yep. which is very, very light for what they are. And yep. that's that's awesome. Lightness is, is good news and will make up for the lack the relative lack of power compared to what they've got now. So which is only going to be fifty horsepower anyway. Yeah. They're cool gonna be they're gonna be hard to drive, but they're still gonna be a quick premium product. So I, I think it's gonna be interesting to see how it all pans out. I, I yeah. they they won't do a six. No, sorry, they won't do a three two in a shootout. But I don't think you'll watch them and you won't because you don't sit there and look at a supercar in the race doing a six five right so early well Chaz was doing fives in his stint mid fives which was bloody fast you don't look at that 
And then you look at his shootout lap and go, it's visibly two seconds a lap faster. Mm. You just don't look at it because no, you do two minute tens at Bathurst and it looks terrifying. So I don't think you're going to look at those cars and go, well, they're a bit slow, uh, not even slightly. And even being driven at 50% pace like they were in the weekend, they look great. Um, no, I think I, it, it's, I think they did a solid job. I think they very, did a really solid job. Very good point you bring up, actually, just going back to that Chaz lap. That looked so much more in control than the Scotty lap of a couple of years ago. Well, and it looked so much more in control than the Cam lap of two cars ago. Yes. <laughs> Which but, is the loosest lap I think we've ever yeah. seen in a shoot out there. That, that whole weekend, the AAA cars just looked like hard work, and they looked mm, like hard work yeah. in the in the warm-up in the morning. Mm. And, and hard work doesn't... You're not going to win Bathurst with that, are you? If you have to no. absolutely rag at no. 10 tenths to get the lap times out of it, and it looks on edge, yeah, didn't work mm. out for them, did it? Very quickly, uh, one-word answers, if you could. Best support category? Uh, Crow Cup? No, yeah. take that back, TCM. Yeah. TCM Racing was bloody good. Really, really good. And JB wrapping up his sixth title. No one saw it because the races were late at night or mm. early in the morning and they've done by Friday, which is a bit of a crime. But uh, the racing in TCM was genuinely outstanding, hard, fair racing. And that category's track record at Bathurst is a bit patchy with a couple of shunts in the past. So uh, I, I thought they put on a really, really good show. Um, all dash good. There's my yeah. one. Yeah, that's, that's a fair call. But they, they all just had their little moments. Like, yeah. even TCR cars look good across the top of the mountain mm. in isolation. They're yeah. a fun car to watch, but, mm. you know, the races didn't necessarily turn out that way. Speaking mm. of uh, patchy at the mountain, S5000, Richard? Poor driving standards, Shebex. Poor yeah. driving standards. Nothing wrong with the cars. Um, so they were... will be back? No... Oh, well, your guess is as good as mine on yeah. that. I don't I don't know. Um they, they were let down by some dodgy moves that didn't need to happen, to be honest. Um, that, that's my that's viewpoint from the cool. commentary box. But the cars themselves, you know, there, were, there were predictions of doom and cars flying off the hill and all this kind of stuff. And the, they were. Seriously, people no, thought no. they were just going to take off. It's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, you know, they did 59s. They, they, the qualifying session was probably the best session of the weekend in anything outside yeah. the top 10 shootout. It was really, really great theatre. Um, had it run another five minutes, they would have knocked off Chris Meese's lap record, but it's fast enough. You know, they, they would do 55s at a heartbeat if they were allowed, but they don't need to. It doesn't change it. But they were let down by some driving standards. Yep. Because it was pretty disappointing. Um, they just needed a couple of clean races and they didn't get it, which was a massive shame. But the package there, great. And when they raced, the racing was bloody good. It was good, good. yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's fair cool. Boys, I think we better wrap it up. It's a big show. Uh, thank you for joining us for your Bathurst wrap. And it's been a big year in supercars. Look forward to coming back next week and we'll have a good chat about the F1 finale. Yeah, that's going to be a massive, that's just going to be massive crack, tear up. Saudi Arabian Grand Prix was disgraceful. Shebek. Some people look at it and go, oh, amazing drama. And it was. But as a driving standards affair, it was average. Um, we're very sorry you didn't get to Bathurst. Yeah, as I um, Because we had the basically the full TRT team there. Uh, and thank you to Dale Rogers for his work, yeah. uh, to Andrew Hall, who contributed some photos along the journey as well and provided me with a, well, both of us, with an espresso shot every morning, which was oh, absolutely the best thing that happened every day. That, that was an absolute game changer, wasn't it? Complete, complete game changer. Um, thanks to Tommy from Doric, whose uh, unwavering support stretched to him wearing a TRT hat on the grid and Yay. failing completely to get in the back of shot. <laughs> for the first time in a month, 
He absolutely dropped the World Cup and did not get in the back of a shot the one time he was wearing a TRT cap, which was very, very disappointing, but we still love you, Tommy. Um, And Shebex, the efforts of the the bloke joining us on this call today to file the TRT notebook uh, was enormous. Enormous. And uh, the race talk had its best week of Bathurst traffic we've ever had. Our social media numbers have gone ballistic. And uh, it's all down to the efforts of M Walker. So uh, well done, Mark. Okay. Well done. All right. Catch you next week. We'll talk some F1s and uh, probably nearly wrap up the podcast for a couple of weeks until we come back and start yes, talking. A uh, couple because, of weeks. <laughs> because Christmas is less than 20 days know, away, which is completely and utterly rubbish. And we're still yeah. talking about Bathurst. Uh, Bye for one now. Week, one week to go. Catch you then. Thank you for joining us right here on The Grid.